This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam, and here's what's coming up. You know, we have a big problem in this country where crime is rampant, our borders are worse. The national security infrastructure in this country is a mess. That's private security consultant and former South African intelligence operative Bradley Stain on the country becoming an attraction to terrorists and criminal gangs. Also, talks between Ethiopia and Tigrayan rebels continue in Pretoria amid a blackout on developments. Nigerian authorities call terror warnings by foreign missions for the capital Abuja false, and Somalia's government promises support for victims of the twin bombings in the capital. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. The first ever formal peace talks between Ethiopia and its Chigrai region are continuing in Pretoria, South Africa, two days after they were originally scheduled to end. And with a tight media blackout, there's no word on how long they may go on. With me here in the studio today is Abraham Zareh, the team lead for VOA's Horn of Africa service. Thanks for joining us, Abraham. Thank you for having me. First of all, what are you hearing? Anything new about the progress in the talks? The only progress we hear about the Peace talks that just have been extended from Sunday, initial till Monday, then to Tuesday, and we never know about the end of the day, so still going on. Hmm. And the country's Prime Minister, Abi Ahmed, complained to China Global Television Network recently about, quote, lots of intervention from left and right in the process. What do you think he meant by that? It's quite interesting. This is the first time that the Prime Minister was talking about the peace deal. And instead of the local media or others, he spoke to Chinese media outlet. And he also spoke it casually when he was doing other activities. He didn't put a formal interview in his office or somewhere. So I think it's kind of implied message by saying sometime, on one level he might be saying, okay, we might give towards China if the West is putting more pressure on us. Or on another level he might be, because he also said, we are, we are still promising. It's, it still sounds promising thing. So it's a bit confusing, but it also shows something between the lines. And he also said that Ethiopian forces were in control of the Tigray towns of Shirey, Aksum, and Adwa. Have we been able to confirm that as the news media? I think this has been confirmed from other sources from, from Tigray side as well. The commander of the Tigray forces, General Tadesawar, has said last this week that those towns were under control of the federal government, the Eritrean forces. So do, you, do we read anything into that, you know, with the reports of the Ethiopian government forces taking control of more area as these talks are going on? It's difficult to know what's happening right on the ground. For example, Ethiopian government is saying we have resumed services to those occupied by our forces. But at the same time, the Tigray side is saying People have been suffering under those controlled areas by both the Ethiopian forces and the Eritrean forces. And there was a report by AP yesterday, that last week, in fact, that says atrocities have been committed by both forces in the occupied towns like Shire, Aksum, and, and Adwa. So it's difficult to tell what's happening on the ground, but it, the, the fighting has been continued since day one of the resumption of hostilities. Right. Is there a new end date for the talks that's been announced? Not yet. Only uh, l- last time uh, the African commissioner uh, Musa Fakir said through his spokesperson that the, the talk might continue for 
but he didn't put any definite date. And NetPride also stated said that it's a good sign that they are still talking. So you can't tell the deadline, but it still uh, the conversation is still going on. But still the media blackout, more or less, and we've, we've heard very, very little. We have nothing from the, either from the representative in the, in, the pl- in the place or the military so far. Nothing is being so- said before, officially. Okay, well, that's Abraham Zare, team leader for VOA's Horn of Africa service, here in the studio with me. Thanks a lot, Abraham. Thank you, Carol. Do you- The U.S. Embassy in Johannesburg last week warned of a possible attack by terrorists on Saturday in the city's financial district, Sandton. South African security forces streamed into the area. Several events planned for the day, including a gay pride march, happened without incident. But the alert reinforced the perception that Africa's most industrialized economy is now firmly in the sights of global terrorist organizations for a variety of reasons. Darren Taylor has more. Terrorism analysts say Pretoria's infuriated jihadists by sending troops to fight extremists in Democratic Republic of Congo and Mozambique. Security consultant Jasmine Opperman says South Africa's military operation in neighboring Mozambique against insurgents allied to Islamic State or ISIS has put an obvious target on its back. The Islamic State not recognizing borders will not hesitate moving into the region. We cannot ignore these dynamics. We need the institutions to be able to manage and deal with these individuals proactively. That's where our vulnerability lies. Experts say South Africa is also a natural target because as a financial heartland of Africa, it hosts many of the world's leading multinationals, including banks. Santon specifically, with its gleaming buildings, international hotels and the largest shopping mall on the continent, is a symbol of Africa's business alliances with the West. The American embassy is also in Santon. In a recent address, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, made specific mention of South Africa when speaking of the growth of Al-Qaeda and ISIS in Africa. These groups threaten Somalia, Mozambique, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Nigeria, the Sahel and Sinai regions, and through ISIS financial facilitation networks in countries including South Africa. Money continues to be the lifeblood of terrorists. We must bolster our efforts to go after financiers and financial facilitators of terrorists and terrorist organizations, and we must stymie vital resource streams that take advantage of weak regulatory oversight. South Africa is characterized by weak regulatory oversight, corrupt officials, and largely dysfunctional police and intelligence services, conditions that experts say free up terrorists to hide and plan operations. Private security consultant and former intelligence operative Bradley Stain says the country's flourishing organized crime sector also gives extremists potential access to weapons, ammunition and explosives. You know, we have a big problem in this country where crime is rampant, our borders are porous. The national security infrastructure in this country is a mess. 
It's a great place for criminal syndicates to operate. It's also a great landscape for radical militant organizations for, unfortunately, acts of terror to potentially take. He says South African extremist groups with links to global jihadists are increasing. ISIS groups, groups linked to radical Islamic organizations, do have cells operating in South Africa. They've done their own form of attacks within the Islamic community. There's a lot of activity coming through the Mozambican border. Stain says insurgents in northern Mozambique's Cabo Delgado region are in and out of South Africa regularly. Opperman says the government seems to have underestimated the radicalization that's happened in recent years. Islamic State has been present by means of loyalists, as proven by those that went to the caliphate. We have seen the return of several people from Sirius Al Hall camp into South Africa. The question what they're busy doing. The vulnerability in terms of our court processes to effectively prosecute terrorism remains questionable. Al Hall is a camp for people displaced by conflict in Iraq close to the Iraq-Syria border. International intelligence agencies say many ISIS fighters live there. Stain says the return to South Africa of radicalized citizens willing to kill for al-Qaeda and ISIS and with the training to do so is a scary reality. The government says it has structures to counter terrorism in cooperation with several partners, including the U.S., For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Somalia's government has promised support for victims of the twin bombings in the capital that killed at least 100 people and injured close to 300 others. Saturday's attack by al-Shabaab comes as security forces have been waging a large-scale offensive against the militants. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. Following an emergency cabinet meeting on Sunday, Prime Minister Hamza Parra said his government will contribute $1 million to offset the medical pills for the victims of the Saturday twin bombings and support families affected. The government said it will also cover education costs for children whose parents and dependents were affected in the attacks. Parra also said the government will double down on the offensive against al-Shabaab to avenge the lives lost. He said, we pledge that we will get revenge for the Somali people and the final decision is to liberate the country from the terrorists. So as we go through pain, I urge Somalis to show patience, stability and resilience for the casualties of the ongoing war. He added, we hope in the shortest time to see our country free of explosions, killings and to have freedom of movement in our country. The twin bombings came at the Somali National Army with a packing of clan militias continue a campaign against al-Shabaab in central Somalia. Rashid Abdi, a security and political analyst from Sahan, a research think tank in Nairobi, says the attacks were a message from al-Shabaab to Somali people who are supporting the government offensives. Al-Shabaab, um, you know, is using this kind of urban terror, first of all, to intimidate and to create fear. Because remember, if, if they conduct these kind of attacks uh, frequently, 
people will begin to tell to, to tell the government uh, you need to review your strategy. So this is a way of creating public fear and anxiety and uh, pressure on the government to stop uh, the military campaign. But Rashid predicts the attacks will galvanize more people to join the war and ensure Ashabab is defeated. He says Ashabab is also trying to show it still has power despite recent reversals. They are back essentially is to the wall. They, more territory has been taken from Al-Shabaab hands uh, in the last four months than in the whole of uh, the last five years. They have the Al-Shabaab finances, finances and economic uh, power is being dismantled. So I think this is an indication that, that Al-Shabaab is, is actually very desperate and uh, wants to show uh, the adversary and the government in particular that it, it still has the capacity and the will uh, to conduct this, uh, this sort of bomb. On Sunday, the government said that 100 Ashaba fighters and leaders had been killed by government forces in the middle Shaveli region. Saturday's bombings in Mogadishu took place near an interjunction where another bombing five years ago killed nearly 600 people. That bombing, widely blamed on Al-Shabaab, is still the deadliest terrorist attack in African history. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please go to voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Equatorial Guinea has closed its borders with Cameroon and Gabon. According to the French news agency AFP, Vice President Teodoro Neguema Obiang Mang says the move will discourage the entry of groups, aiming to destabilize the presidential elections campaign starting this week. Elections for president, parliament, and local offices are all scheduled for November 20th. They were originally set for April 2023, but were moved forward because of the war in Ukraine and the COVID-19 pandemic. No date was announced for reopening the borders, which are regularly shut for security reasons. This despite an agreement on the free movement of people and goods in the region. Security has been tight since 2017, when authorities thwarted a coup attempt against long-serving leader Teodoro Obiang Neguema Mbasago. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center has announced the three finalists in the first Africa Digital Innovation Competition. The finalists are Imadoye Abioro, CEO and co-founder of Health Botics, Ore Elamede, co-founder of Grow Acric, and Frank Nana Ade, co-founder of Shopa. The annual competition, held in partnership with the U.S. African Development Foundation and American Chambers of Commerce across Africa, rewards African innovators, entrepreneurs, and startups that use digital products and services to have a positive impact on African citizens. VOA is a media partner in the competition. Scott Eisner, president of the U.S. Africa Business Center, and Travis Atkins, president of the U.S. Africa Development Foundation, announced the finalists 
us yesterday live on VOA's Africa 54 television news program. Moments after the announcement, VOA's Paul Ndiho spoke with each finalist. Let's hear what they have to say. First, Imadoyo Obioro from Nigeria, CEO of Healthbotics, which uses a mobile application and a 24-7 call center to serve as a logistics hub for medical facilities around Nigeria. This is an amazing piece of news. Uh, I am so excited. It's, it represents an entirely new dimension for what we do at Healthbotics, and I'm so grateful. Uh, Healthbotics has come a really long way uh, since our pilot, and we've been supported all through it by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So it's kind of poetic that they come in again at such an important inflection point in our journey to give us that extra help that we need. Thank you so much. Next up is Frank Nana Ade, co-founder of Shalpa, a Ghana business-to-business e-commerce system providing financial services to small informal grocery shops. It helps them get access to supplies and manufacturers. Wow. Wow, I can't I can't even hide my excited um, excitement. I'm really excited about this. And I want to thank the US Chamber of Commerce and the US Chamber of Commerce African Business Unit and also US uh, uh, Develop- African Development Foundation for this opportunity. Um, at Shopper, we believe that the informal retailers are the backbone of the, of the African continent, driving the African economy. And we're actually happy um, helping these uh, retailers um, uh, by connecting them to manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods. And we are really, really excited about this opportunity. And I want to thank the organizers and everyone and my team as well. I'm really, really excited. And our last finalist is Ore Alamede, co-founder of Grow Acric, a Kenyan company that provides a platform to help small and mid-sized farmers to farm better and earn more. I'm glad to be representing the ladies. Um, this, is, this is very amazing. This is great news. For us to be recognized as an ag tech that is looking to build a farmer-first organization, um, it, it's, it's such great news for us. And um, we strongly believe that with the partnership and, and with this um, award, we would be able to even impact more farmers. We're very passionate about the SDG goals, increasing farmers' revenue, helping them um, farm better and better, and the opportunity to be able to even do that much more just makes us really excited. And I just want to say big well done to my entire team as well, because without them, we would not be here today. The three finalists will come to Washington in December to compete for the top slots and cash prizes of up to $25,000. Congratulations to the three finalists and to all of the 1,700 entrepreneurs who entered the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center created the competition. The U.N. Climate Change Conference, known as COP27, starts in Egypt next week as the Horn of Africa endures record drought with famine warnings in Somalia. Africa produces less than 4% of global emissions, but suffers the effects of global warming, including food insecurity, increased conflict, and more severe weather events. Climate change activists are pushing major emitters in developed countries to make bigger commitments at the conference. Juma Majanga reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. According to a recent report by the UN Environment Programme, the international community is still falling far short of the 2015 Paris Agreement goals with no credible pathway to keep the rise in global temperatures below the key threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius 
carbon cutting plans by governments are still inadequate and environmental leaders are asking developed countries to do more. In an exclusive interview with VOA, UN Environment Executive Director Inga Andersen said climate change is accelerating and efforts to tackle it must also be accelerated. 75% of all greenhouse gas emissions are from those 20 G20, the biggest 20 economies. They need to do more. And that is the conversation that we need to have at the COP in Shamashir, Africa's COP as we call it. They need to lean in, both with money, but also with their own emissions reductions. Africa contributes the least in global emissions, but experts say the continent is the most vulnerable to impacts of climate change. Tandile Chinyavanu is a climate and energy campaigner at Greenpeace Africa in South Africa. We've seen over the continent, um, there's just this past year, some devastating impacts um, in the Horn of Africa where um, the fourth failed rainy season is driving famine in the country and similarly in the semi-arid regions of, of Kenya. We're seeing um, people in Mauritania and Nigeria affected by floods um, where those floods have displaced something like 1.3 million people. And we've seen that in South Africa as well. The 27th session of the Conference of Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change in Egypt provides an opportunity for the international community to continue negotiations for global goals that will tackle climate change. Muhtari Amiku Kano is the Africa Director for Policy and Government Relations at the Nature Conservancy in Nairobi. As the world gathers in Egypt, the expectation is that it will address the climate crisis, including investing in technological transfer, in capacity building, and in deploying adequate financial resources. Because without these three components, it will just be hot air and talk. Scientists say fighting climate change requires well-coordinated global action where everyone has a role to play. A lot of promises were made at last year's COP26 conference in Glasgow and discussions at the Sham el-Sheikh conference will be followed closely by many. Here again is Inga Andersen. We are seeing that renewable energy, solar, electric vehicles, energy-efficient buildings, smart infrastructure is becoming the thing. Let's accelerate that, right? Let's just move it right ahead. That's so obvious. Climate change leaders and activists are calling for more ambitious commitments from major emitters with clear roadmap for action. Juma Majanga, VOA Africa News Center, Nairobi, Kenya. Hello! This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week 
right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Nigerian authorities yesterday dismissed recent terror warnings by foreign missions for the capital of Buja as false and irresponsible. Heads of Nigerian security agencies made the comments to journalists after an emergency security meeting with President Mohamedou Buhari. But security experts in Nigeria and around the world are urging Nigerians to take the warnings seriously. Greece has launched a search and rescue mission for dozens of migrants whose boat sank overnight after departing from Turkey for the European Union. The Associated Press reports the Greek Coast Guard picked up nine survivors, all men, on an uninhabited rocky isle east of Athens. The men told the press agency that there had been about 68 people on board when the sailing boat sank after it set off from Izmir on the Turkish coast. The boat alerted authorities early in the morning with a distress signal but did not provide its location. The Coast Guard says conditions in the area are rough with gale force winds. The AP says another search and rescue is underway off the coast of the eastern Aegean island of Samos for eight people reported missing. And that wraps it up for this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America. <laughs>